So this could be the second episode of the Sheepdog Rest Stop, and this is about us interviewing our friends along the way of our epic road, uh, our epic summer road trip. Very cool, very cool. And so you have a pretty interesting background, and we will get into that. So I'm Brian Bray, and with me is Patrick Coleman. Hey, how's it going, guys? Nice to be here, Brian. Yeah, good to have you here. Right. So, and good for me to be here. Right. I'm glad you're at your house with me. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, so, interesting history. Uh, Patrick worked on a Ron Paul documentary, mm-hmm. and you also helped with the Loose Change 9/11 Truth mm-hmm. film. Yeah, I did a Ron Paul documentary. We raised on uh, September uh, 2013. $120,000 for Ron Paul in uh, it was this, um, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. which was really crazy. And, San, and Ron Paul was in a straw poll, and he not only won the Republican nomination, but also the straw poll for the Democrats. Wow. Because Democrats were listening to him, and they were like, what? This guy is amazing. Yeah, he's a good example of yeah. someone who could be a centrist or pull from both yeah. sides. Yeah, libertarian views are, you know, basically mind your own business and don't hurt anybody, non-aggression principle. Mm-hmm. And I worked with Dylan Avery and Corey Rowe on Loose Change and American Coup, which was the fourth version of Loose Change with Daniel Sinjata from Rescue Me doing the voiceover. Mm-hmm. Daniel and I actually became pretty good friends and we talked for many, many months afterwards, you know. I haven't talked with him for a while, but he was he was bringing 9-11 Truth onto the Rescue Me show with Dennis Leary. Oh, wow. And so we would, go in conversation, we would talk to him, and I'm like, how are you presenting this to people? It must be really difficult. And he was like, yeah, he's a big guy. He's like, nah, it was no problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> good. Um, what What would you like to work on next? Because I, what I'm sensing is there's some people in the audience that may uh, dovetail. We talked a bit about a gold rush documentary. Right, right. Maybe that's something you want to cover because you've done some pretty extensive research. Right. And it, it feeds in what, where I see the connection is you're saying 16 and 18-year-olds were right. t- taking on full agency. They're buying a gun. Yeah. To defend themselves. Yeah. They're going after uh, hope and ambition and a dream. Yeah. And uh, I find it funny that a lot of the, the kids, well, now, back then, they're 16, 18, but now they're in their 20s. And the whole, there are the lazy millennials, but there are also millennials that understand the message of liberty from Ron Paul, who are Ron Paul fans. And then also the conservative mu- movement and away from identitarian politics. Yeah. Or identity politics. Um which is, you know, some of their school thought that says, you know, we have to fight. We have to be identitarians. We are identitarians. We identify and freely associate with people that we have like-mindedness with. Right. And the next one, uh, I, uh, documentary, I, I, it's called Lost Treasures in California. And I noticed uh, after doing extensive research, extensive research into the gold rush in 1849 and whatnot, 1848, uh, how these young kids you know, left their parents, you know, ages from 16 to 21, bought a gun and went out to to find their fortune. A lot of them died along the way. Most of them didn't find anything. And what happened was away from their parents or pastors or churches and schools, they started gambling, cussing, fighting, gunfighting, like crazy, 
crazy stories. And I was like, wow, what if we could... And a lot of... They started robbing the stagecoaches. Mm-hmm. And when... Uh, the you know authoritative figures came after them they would you know they couldn't get anywhere so they hid their treasures and buried them and a lot of these stories are pretty epic and you can find them online but i was thinking what if we got a group of people and went out and tried to find those lost treasures and at the same time do a documentary and tell the real history of how these people went and survived you know away from society away from their, their their friends and family and you know, as you and I were talking the other night, we were thinking, wow, this is kind of like prepping, you know, prepping idea for the future. You know, what's going to be worth something, you know, you know, food, clothing, commodities, gold and silver, guns mm-hmm. and ammo, you yeah. know, like what? Are, so it's tied along into that. What were the preparations for these guys to go from Boston, you know, around the Cape Horn to take a boat and any other people that crossed land you know died along the way right where i see an interesting connection is obviously the youth is taking on total agency to go run but there was a big opportunity so one of the things that's covered at least in propertarianism is is what are the incentives it helps us to make something more calculated and decidable so there was certainly an incentive even though it was fictional for most of them and highly ambitious Mm -hmm. that they could be a a millionaire or more in gold Mm -hmm. Uh, with certainly high stakes, death being right there, along with all the other terrible outcomes they could have. It sounds like an interesting project, uh, especially if you're overlapping the documentary side with "We're going to go search for it now." Right. So it has. So it's a like real a real time. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you have the reality TV show where you talk about these stories and these treasures that are lost, and then you go out and try to find them. Right. And there was a couple different ones, uh, you know, that I thought could be easily found. And, that, you know, they didn't have GPS and all that stuff back in the day. So now I can, I've pinpointed a lot of different places along with the stories that I found. And also presented in an Ed Burns type style of documentary. Cool. Uh, they had these, uh, uh, these stereographic pictures where they would take a photo of somebody or a place and then take another photo five feet away to the right. Mm-hmm. And then it's the original Viewmaster stereographic. And so they had two pictures and they put it into this device where you could see in 3D. Right. So I'm trying to figure out how... And they do have these cameras with two lenses mm-hmm. to try to make it Ed, Ed Burns-style documentary on steroids. Cool. You know, to make it like so people are... You do have to have immersive 3D experience. immersive, yeah, yeah. experience. <clears throat> I mean, it really leads on to uh, how they did prepare to live their lives. Away, there was no state government to back them up or to hold their hand throughout anything. They lived and died on the trail, right? You know, disease. Uh, you know, American Indian fights, which were honorable fighters. And if you look back to some of these, a lot of these uh, histories that I've read, that they didn't think that the Native Americans were some kind of horrible people. They they thought they were amazing fighters. Hmm. You know, they were honorable, and they died with honor, and they fought with honor. And uh, and it wasn't until the thing that the, the, the American Indian, they lost because of the buffalo rifle. Because they were only used to 100, 200-yard shots. 
and here he come with this long rifle, buffalo rifle, you know, 240 grains behind every bullet, uh-huh. shooting a thousand yards, and that just freaked them out. Sure. And it was their superstition also, because they thought like, hey, we did, you know, we did this ritual. And we won't be able to be shot. And then they were shot. Yeah. And they were like, what in the hell is going on? So their God is dead at that point. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then of course, the buffalo hunters, they were dreaded because they killed all the food. They mm-hmm. killed all the buffaloes. They killed everything. They had. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Very sad. Maybe. Not, yeah. It's not like Israel and Palestine, you know. <laughs> it's just an actual war, you know, yeah. equal enemies, you know. Right. So along the lines of saying that there's respect, you'd, you'd shared a tale of the, the bear and the bull. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that there was Mexicans were there. Yeah, probably Keros. Keros, yeah, Native Americans, yeah. Indians. Yeah. Uh, white, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And, yeah, all, uh, kinds of, all kinds of different people. And they would spectate at the... They did. They bet on... Uh, they had this fight called the bear-bull fight. And the Keros would go and capture a grizzly bear chain it and stake it to the ground, you know, rope it with uh-huh. the horses and then chain it and stake it to the ground and bring out a bull. Right. And the bull, literally, it was horrible to watch. So the Sacramento Bee uh, editor had a, a, a war of words with the California Tribune? Was it California Tribune? Something like that. I don't know. Hey. So, on one hand, the Sacramento Bee guy was saying, hey, this is a horrible thing that's happening, that these bears and these bulls are being, you know, taken advantage of with all these beddings and these spectacles, and they're being hurt. But let's describe to you what happened, Bob. (laughs) Tell me what happened next. (laughs) Yeah. So, in this one uh, situation, they actually had stands that were built, and they have this bear chained up, and the bull comes out, and the bull scoops up the bear in its horns and just flip and just flips. <laughs> and the bull comes out with his horns and just flips the bear up right in the middle of the air. Yeah. And as the bear was coming down, it swipes the haunches or the flanks of the bull, and the bull just freaks out. It's like, what just happened? <laughs> and uh it comes back around. I, I just told you a short version the other day. This is a little longer. It turns around. It comes back, and it rushes at the bear again. And this time, the bear grabs it and bites down on its snout. Wow. And pins it to the ground, and everybody in the stands or stands like of people. There's hundreds and hundreds of people. Right. And the bull just goes berserk. It just goes crazy and gets out of the hole of the bear Blood gushing everywhere, jumps over the wall into the stands, runs over people, stomping them to the ground, and runs away. And the vaqueros go after it because it's their bear. So the, the bull goes berserk, blood gushing, jumps over the wall into the stands, stomps on people, runs down, crumbles people, you know, smashes them into the ground. And the, the horses, the vaqueros... The Spanish were the Sonorans who were the great uh, miners. They were miners in Sonora in Mexico. Mm-hmm. They go after the be- the bull, and the bears there is just like, this poor thing is crumbled, his tongue hanging out. And some cowboy, well, we're going to call cowboys and Mexican vaqueros, they just guarded the cows, you know, they just watched them over them. There's no such thing as uh, cowboys. They, they were called each other shootists. 
They all had guns. Yeah. They all had Bowie That's knives. Funny. And they all fought and beat each other up constantly. It was crazy. So this guy's like, oh, it's poor bear. He goes over and he has a, a pail of water. And he goes, here, little bear. And he puts the pail down. He turns around and the bear shortchanged him. He pretended that he was tired. And he just grabs this guy bites down on this thigh bone and it snaps in two and this one writer for the Sacramento Bee was like and you could hear the snap 300 yards away like it was a gunshot right next to my ear you know like hilarious (laughs) this stuff you can find you go to Sacramento Library you can find every single news article from the 1800s it's it's bizarre yeah and uh, so everybody in the stands everybody has guns they pull out their guns and start, you know, the the, the the Navy Colts. And it also had something that was called a pepper gun or something, which most people bought because it was like $17. Yeah. And the Colt, the Navy Colt was uh, like $32 or something like that. So everybody starts shooting at this bear. Nobody's hitting it. And some guy way in the back and the top of the stands... Pulls out his Navy Colt, one shot, right in the head, kills the bear. Wow. Dead. <laughs> and so... Not even with a sight or anything, just, yeah, just from the hip. From the hip, yeah. He wasn't even... He, they didn't line up. They didn't think anything yeah. like that. For all pure muscle memory, like you were saying earlier. And so the Sacramento Bee at a, in California Alta. The Alta. California Alta is the other newspaper. Yeah. They have this war of words. And they're so mad at each other that they actually declared a duel so both of the editors were uh the one that was saying it was sad but still writing about the stories versus the the other editor who was saying that he can't believe that he would even put that on newspaper print you know right they have this duel and for some reason they uh somebody who set the gun up set it to a hair trigger Oh, okay. So the Sacramento B editor, I wish I could remember his name, he shoots first, but it, it was a hair trigger, so he shot down to the ground, and he, and, and and the California Alta, uh, Alto uh, editor shoots him right in the head. Dead. You know what's cool about that story, especially how it finishes, is a big thing in proprietarianism is uh, warranted, due diligent, truthful speech. Yep. Right? And that you'd pay a consequence for lying, you know? Yes. So uh, you have to be able to back up your words. So this is a, what an interesting story where these were men were men. Right. Property was that which you could defend. Right. And that if you didn't tell, if there was some mincing of words, mm-hmm. you would go, hey, let's take it out to the yeah. streets then. And they fought in newsprint for the longest time. And then when that didn't work, the other guy was like, oh, yeah, I, I wish I had them in front of me. Some of those things that they'd say, the way they talk and the way they speak, it's much more genteel, like uh-huh. gentlemen. Yeah. You know, so. You talk but there's about, a line. There's obviously there's a, a line. line. There's a line in the sand that you could def- definitely don't cross. Right. And one of the quotes was from a Mormon writing back to his mother. He was like, Mom, I do not drink. I have not had one drink into my lips. But what I do have is a gun and a Bowie knife because you need it around here because you will find yourself in a scuffle. And in that scuffling, you must win, whether by word, deed, or what did he say? Or club, club, knife, or, or, or pistol. Yeah. 
And so his fights were all about just beating somebody, like taking somebody out real quick and hitting somebody on the head or taking your gun and knocking them out before, you know, because they didn't really want it. There's people that didn't want to kill anybody that right. had consciousness. So if you could knock them out, yeah, fights over that the drunk, The drunken guy. Yeah, I'll fight you. Right. You know, and their, their feuds, it wasn't like 15 paces or 15 paces. Every time you read something, it was like, and I was at the bar, and John said something to the man, and he pulled out his gun and shot him in the face six inches away from him. Like, that was it. Like, is this, as far as I am from you, that's yeah. how close they were. Right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's dead as you can get. So there's a chance these type of, these hard times could yeah. be coming back. Yeah. I mean, what did they have? They, they ate bacon and beans, you know. I mean, a bean is a good... You know, mm-hmm. commodity to have if you want to prep. Right. You know, put them in your mylar bag, take the air out, put them in a the five-gallon bucket. You know, beans, rice. And that's what they had, beans, rice, and bacon, and beef when they needed to. Or horse. Yeah. You know, old horses, lame horses, dead horses, whatever. But uh, if you stew it long enough, yeah, kill everything. And they had it's their wits, enough. their guns. You yeah. know, they knew that the first thing they needed to find was shelter. Water and then food. The water is like fabulous in Yosemite. It's beautiful. Chief Yosemite back in uh, the early, from the uh, 1700s, what they would do in Yosemite National Park now is they would burn all the underbrush. There was no like great fires because they knew how to prevent wildfires in California. So there isn't that great devastation like there is today. I think it's like, 800 million trees have died in, in yeah. California now, something like that. Horrible amounts. So there, even lost. back then, there was yeah, better preservation. Protecting, yeah. the, uh, protecting the commons. And the environment. And, and the yeah. duty yeah. to protect the commons. And what he also would do, what they also would do, was get the kids, they would have their, you know, the bow and arrows, and they would get the kids to, to make the, the um, arrowheads and to kill all the gophers. Hmm. Whatever else would cause holes in the ground. Because they had horse races. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as well as everybody else knows in the 1600s when the Americas didn't have horses. And then the Spanish came and the horses, some horses got away and that's how you had... That's why the Comanches went from the mud people to the, the greatest warrior nation of all time. They were... The Comanches were, like, hated hmm. as the lowest class of any, any Indians. There's a lot of classism going on in, in American Indian society. Uh-huh. And but when they got the horses, it was like they called them war dogs of war, dogs of war, horses, and that's where we get that, you know, Pink Floyd song, dogs yeah. of war, right? You know, and they thought these things were gifts of the gods, and as soon as they had them, they were the badasses, from all the way from from Central California all the way down to Southern Mexico, they commanded that territory. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. The Comanches are one badass people. So the strong militia in that sense that they they and that's what I was talking a- about identitarianism. Once you identify people I, uh, that think like you and are like minded like you, you can get that group together right. to protect each other. Right. You know, you, you, your certain roles are then fulfilled, like the farmer, the housewife, you know, the caretaker, the hunter, the gatherer, the fisher, or whatever you know, falls into that, you know, living on the plains in those days, you know. I I really believe the same thing is going to happen. I think these inner cities are going to implode like they are already. I mean, they, they really are. 
They were just propped up by uh, it's crazy cheap money or yeah, fake money and all that. Fiat currency. There's yeah. only so long you can run the illusion on yeah. lots of time, money, and energy to prop it up. Right. So that falls apart. Yeah, I have some bacon, some flour, some <laughs> beans, a gun, ammo, right. a place to stay, so a clean water supply. Yeah. You know, uh, sanitation, refrigeration. Their refrigeration was winter. They would cut huge blocks of ice uh-huh. and make an ice house with straw. Straw, like, was the insulation of the ice, you know, so they'd have these huge houses right. to have their ice, which is really bizarre, you know, when you think about it. So to have iced tea was a, an amazing thing in the South, you know. I have some iced tea in the summertime. <laughs> they had, the Virginians had an accent different from the Texans. Texans are more like this. But the Virginians, they spoke more like this. Sir, I do believe you have sullied my boots. Right. You know, like, what the hell? <laughs> and when they came out west, they were from Boston, like the Bahois. They were the Irish gangs at Tammany Hall okay. in, in New York. Right. And then he had the Australians. The murders were the worst. The Australians were fucking horrible. So what they would do in San Francisco, it was an honor to be on the fire patrol, to be a fireman, a volunteer fireman. So all the rich and genteel people would be there fine, man. They're out there, you know, (laughs) out amongst the people, saving lives. So the Australians would set a fire somewhere, and all the rich people would get in their gear. We're going to save everybody. They'd set a fire, and then they'd go rob their houses. (laughs) True story. Yeah. True story. The hated, the most hated people were the Irish and the Australians. Jeez. in the, I wish the more, gold rush era. I wish more people were awake to knowing that all sorts of periods of time, other, other races of people, yeah. ethnicities were hated yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. And so it just moves around. It does. It, and, and tribalism is truism. Mm-hmm. And in the sense that when you do find people of your like mind and you are like in understanding with each other about some philosophy, we got thunder going on outside some philosophy that you adhere to strongly, like the Mormons. The Mormons were the first ones to wagon trail across the, you know, the plains, and they stopped in Utah, but they were hated, you know. There's, they're still tremendous preppers themselves. Yeah, they are. So they have a, a yeah. ancestral and cultural history that they kind do. of is they tuned into that. John's, John Smith's father was a carny, so they... They were packing up. Every con artist, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so he came up with the con, and it, but boy, they had, they had wars, man. Mormon wars were like crazy. Of course, on one side, they were like, get your weird-ass people away from me, and we're going to kill you, get off my land. And the Mormons were like, oh, now we're just martyrs for the Lord. Right. Where do we hear that? You know, right. now. Right. Who, what religions now feel like they're the victim? So what's interesting, uh, what you're just sharing around these these infightings could lead into wars. Oh, yeah. So the Treaty of Westphalia was significant in the sense that only then the state or the nation could officially declare war. Right. Well, now we're seeing the end of the Treaty of Westphalia right. with four gen- fourth-generation warfare, or 4GW. Right. So there's speculations that especially with uh, Civil War, Civil War 2.0, that we're going to find ourselves in a situation, again, where factions start to work with yeah. other factions. Yeah. And that you can declare war. That basically any group could declare war. Right. 
Um, this so, is where property rights come into play, and the government should be nothing more than a referee uh, involving property rights and uh, contractual agreements. That, yeah. That's all they should be. So government, for the most part, I get the referee part, judge of last resort is another thing we talk about. Right. But the government is our agreement to use of violence, collective use of violence. Right. Because that's all that backs up laws, yeah. is the threat of violence or actual violence. Right. So we have given our acquiescence. Yes, of course, are the people to keep us safe. We can allow the police officers to go arrest this person or do that or in the name of justice. Where it starts to fall down is when they no longer have our consent. Right. Or they're doing things that are unjust. You know, and they now they're in there quickly and widespread losing uh, our trust. And, right. And we know that. So we're not exactly clear of how that changes, but they're no longer going to get our consent and agreement. Yeah, they've become their own gang. They've become their own cult. Yeah. You know, by the force of violence at the, by the end of a, a gun. Right. You know? And uh, uh, I had an argument with a friend of mine in 1938 government decided to confiscate everybody's gold and I was like they stole everybody's gold right. and my friend Justin he was like no 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 they they, they bought it all with what with with their paper money they paid everybody <laughs> yeah but it's it's not only that with the fiat you know Ponzi scheme and the, the the you know fiat currency and dollar hegemony it's also the threat of violence if they didn't well, what if they didn't get back the gold? And I said, nah, I'm cool. I'm going to keep my gold, bro. Right. They're going to put you in jail. They're going to find you. They're going to shoot you, basically. Well, luckily, a good number of people that just said they lost it. And then they went and buried it somewhere. Ah, lost treasures of California. Yeah. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> well, that's what I was telling you about the Saddle Ridge find, where these people were just walking on their property, saw a little can jutting out in the earth. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's six cans filled with gold coins. Right. That That's probably why. Yeah. 1938, they were like, and then what happened? I don't know. Maybe they were on a riverboat and it went under. Right. Maybe they were attacked by whatever. Maybe some, you know, they died and forgot all about it. Who knows? Right. Like, how did that, how did these things happen? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the way the government is now, they want full control of everything. And it does, and it will uh, extend that force of violence to every single facet of our lives. Right. So I was reading this thing about China. Some writer was in China, and he said he crossed the street because he saw his friend, and uh, five minutes later he had a ding on his phone. Yeah. Well, they recognized him on their system and for jaywalking, and fined him and subtracted fifty dollars from his bank account. Right. And he's like, what in the hell? Right. So automatic, they have the automatic face recognition systems right. and, and these social credits. And I'm like, this is exactly where it's going. Yeah. It's your smartphone now. Right. And then it's your little chip underneath your arm. But maybe it's just a tattoo on your forehead later on, like a barcode. <laughs> you committed some crime. You committed a social crime. We just, what are they doing now? They just take people's assets. Yeah. So there's these two guys uh, that have owned Backpage.com, which is sort of like the Craigslist of porn. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so well, under, they're tr- trying to say it's a film industry, but it's largely well, ad- adults. Under 230, it's basically saying, under Rule 230 of some act that they have, it's basically saying that this guy isn't a publisher, so he's not editing anything, and so he's not liable for so he's not a content creator yeah he's not a content creator he's just a a facilitator yeah yeah he's not a publisher because publishers have editing they do that's right so he's just a facilitator so what the government did uh instead of them going to court what they did is under a rico law or some crazy law they uh took all of their assets froze all of their bank accounts took all of their property but one of the guys was smart, and so he bought, like, this $22 million house and gave it to his wife and all the cash he had. He started a, an account to uh, remodel the house. <laughs> so he was very smart. Yeah. He got rid of everything and gave it to his cool-ass wife. If you, I'm telling you, guys, find a good woman, find a good thing. <laughs> Get married, find a good woman, because, man, she could go, Boop, bye-bye, thanks for the money. Yeah, right, right. And the house. Great. <laughs> and so they're going to court and trying to win these cases, and it's in two counties. It's in L.A., and it's also in either Vermont or New Hampshire or New York. I can't remember exactly. So what the government is trying to do is take all their assets so they can't defend themselves. And then all they keep doing is playing musical chairs and changing right. the scene. So they go here and waste all the money. Right. Oh, and then they say, oh, we've changed the date for this. And then they go, oh, you have to go to New Hampshire. Oh, we changed the date for that. Music. So they're playing this possum game or mole, you know. Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole game. Yeah, keep moving Until it. they spend all their money and they can't defend themselves. This is an evil, corrupt, it's almost like a religious cult. Mm-hmm. It is so evil what they're doing to people. You know, mm-hmm. we don't like the way you think. And then you see these other things with the Facebooks and the Zuckerbergs and the... They start. It all starts piecing together, and now they're changing the rules again. You know, mm-hmm. there's some small wins, but mostly it's all about control. Right. And soon they'll be like, we don't like the way you think. Take away your money. Right. It's all setting a precedent for the future. So how can we get out of this? Yeah. Well, I mean, what are we going to do to solve these crazy problems with these people? Go into the mountains and hide. You know, in Montana with 45 degrees, you know, below zero, <laughs> freezing your balls off you know like what do you do what is it what is the normal human being and i say normal i mean normal like yeah. you're not dressing like a woman in a library reading books to my kid because right. I'll, I'll go crazy I'm yeah. not, not going to bring my kid to that library right <laughs> or what do we do like go along to get along or do we just like fade out of existence or do we fight back i mean what what are some of the solutions that could be placed upon the table to you? Um, first of this whole trip is to connect in real life because we've had connections online and, and have a sense of camaraderie and we think alike, sense, certainly aware yeah. of what the problems are. Right? Yeah. That's the first thing. you got to know what the problems are because plenty of people don't even see the problem as a problem. And... Um, and then working on solutions together, right. uh, talking through things. Once, so there's a, a big deal about uh, kind of customize or the solutions have to be at the local level. Yes, small communities. Yeah, so that, there's a distinction between via positiva and via negativa. 
In via negativa, it's don't do something. In via positivity, it's a prescription of to do something. Hmm. So one of the distinctions in propertarianism is that when we talk about law, like a natural law, it's don't impose a cost on another. It's a clarify of non-aggression principle right. or you're free to do anything uh, so long as you don't impose a cost on another. Okay, And... Um, why that becomes important is that we're not going to try to prescribe what you're going to do and how to do it and that we may learn in certain cultures and societies and communities may have ways that they like to do things. So some neighborhoods may choose to cut hands off if somebody steals. <laughs> Others they might say you got to throw gotta, tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, throw tomatoes or you got to give it back. Right. Or uh, you got to give it back plus work 10 times the amount of it or you know, you do this plus community service. So solutions are solved at the level that they that they are. Yeah. But where this alignment comes is like, okay, we can all go along to get along so long as we don't impose a cost on another. And that includes free riding or parasitism or free riding off of just uh, uh, the commons. So you're fishing the pond more than anybody else is. Uh, you know, so you've yeah. now imposed a cost on everybody else. So right. that's one of the challenges with libertarianism is they yeah. tend to say that, well, as long as you're taking what you need and right. you, know, you can just take from the market as much as you want and you go resell that or whatever, like you're free to do that. that the idea they don't have as much calculation or decidability on imposition of costs which is really interesting point because uh, the american indian in uh, the colombian gorge the river is so huge they actually made a game of catching fish the only way you could catch fish was from a, a long pole with a small little net on the end uh-huh. and you could only they didn't have like a written rule it was just like this is just the fish i need the fish that jumped out of the water that you caught in your net to feed two fish to feed your family that day. Right. You know, it wasn't like these commercial fishermen leaving their nets in the water and killing the wildlife and the turtles and all that stuff, which is devastating, you know. Um, so the, their solution was, uh, you know, their spiritual being, their spiritual thing. I think volunteerism is a very interesting thing when you're just taking care of you and your own and small communities. You're not getting that one guy gets greedy and a libertarian mindset is like, well, so he was just smart and he just caught 100 fish that day. So you didn't have to. Yeah. And that's another challenge, libertarianism will accept uh, uh, bribery. Yeah. Blackmail. Blackmail. Is, right. Is acceptable. For so profit. Like they'll. Oh, this they'll is Heather, profit, everyone. They'll, they'll profit yeah. off that fish, the extra fish that they caught, and they'll sell it back to you so you don't have to work, but then they'll be at a cost. For seashells. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, something. Yeah, no, for seashells and salt. That's what they traded for fish. Yeah. Yeah, the Miwoks would actually travel all the way to Seattle and the Columbia Gorge to trade seashells. The seashell people, remember in Berkeley? What were yeah. they called? The sea mound. Mound. They had mounds of seashells. Wow. Shell mounds. Shell mound people. Shell mound right. people. They were the Native Americans in Emeryville Bay near San Francisco off the coast So then there. the greed of them going after seashells decimates because they weren't just particularly finding well, them, right? Or No. No, no, they were. They weren't. They didn't have any they mechanics. They were just fine. They are just doing it by hand. <laughs> yeah. So they weren't, <laughs> you know, I mean. But at what point does it go from collecting to like, I'm going to now. Well, I'll tell you. The Ohone, the, the Ohone uh -huh. tribe in San Francisco, uh, when the Spanish saw them, they thought they were just lazy. And they were like, what are you talking about lazy? Because in San Francisco, it was a huge bird reserve. So ducks, 
and everything in the billions. Yeah, the flyway. You don't even see it anymore. Mm. The birds aren't even there anymore. Yeah. But uh, they would, uh, you know, there was so much. They were like, what are you talking about? I'm hungry? Go get something to eat. What do you you mean work, labor? What was that? Yeah. And so they, they thought the Spanish were crazy. And the Spanish were sick of eating duck all the time. They were like, there's duck everywhere. And the ducks, they would blast them in the water, and they would go get their duck, and all the ducks, other ducks were like, okay, whatever that was. And they didn't move. They weren't afraid of the guns or anything. At that point, There yeah. was so much. A whale would wash up after some killer whale would eat it, bite it, and kill it. And then the, the olones would come and start cutting up some of the whale for themselves. And there were some dogs and some wolves. And on the other side were grizzly bears. And on the other side, they were all partaking in the whale, like every single species yeah. that was in that area. Yeah. And so the, th- the funny thing about that is the, the decimation of pol- yeah, climate change. Forget, dude, there's so, like the plastic in the ocean, there's real pollution, there's real problems. You know, that small communities could probably deal with a lot better. Right. You were just telling me the other day that China was the biggest... And India, and biggest plastic. China and India, I believe, are the two yeah. largest polluters. Yeah, like by a large margin. Very though. large. So that's the problem. And the other people say, like, oh, there's just too many of us. Probably true. You know, you kill off predators, you got more people, you know. So, yeah, the solutions for today are going to be very difficult, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we can prescribe them uh, yeah. in mass. No. It just people got to work it through. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's bring this one to a close, and I'm going to fire up the next microphone so we can bring all four in. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Hey, it was great talking with you. Great man. to That's talk with sure. you, Brian. That's for sure. That's Thank you, sir. Catch you another time. For sure. I'm down. Anytime. Let's do film next time. Okay. <laughs>